change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Pods Community. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Oh, Mike this week, not Michael. Going back to Mike? Oh, uh, i go with uh, Michelob. Michelob? Like the beer? Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. my aunt and uncle used to call me that when I was a kid, and then I got really angry about it. <laughs> Don't call me that. So, so they you, didn't call me that, but so remember the, uh, looking back on it now, it's like, ah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. Remember the story last week I told you about Tom? Call myself yeah. Thomas. So mm-hmm. a buddy of mine, uh, cl- for lack of a better term, probably my best friend. I've been friends with him now for close to 30 years. Uh, season tickets with the cats, season tickets with the forge. Uh, he, we went to the soccer game this weekend and he, about some point during the game, he looks at me and goes, you know, I never heard that Tom story. He, he, <laughs> I've known him. I, I, we met in sixth grade in 1993 and I've known him close to 30 years. Never told him that story. And I thought I told everyone that story. He hears the story for the first time. Listen to the podcast. He's like, I never knew about this. And I was like, yeah, did, yeah, it was, uh, he, it was, it was, it was a weird story. He did not know about your alter ego. He did not. He did not know about Tom Smith. So uh, I guess even even the close people closest to me can learn something when they listen to the show. So uh, anyway, uh, on to actual things to talk about CFL-wise. I uh, ran the Podski account during the game because, Mike, you were in Edmonton watching our Ticats kick the daylights out of the Elks, which we will get to in a second. But I said after the game when I realized that it was possible for the Ticats to be in a three-way tie for first, provided that the BC Lions beat the Argos and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders beat the Alouettes on Saturday, which gave me more incentive to watch those games, quite frankly. Um, I said, you know what? If this happens, we're going to come on here and we're going to say something nice about both those teams. Uh, even sent out a tweet saying, hey, who, who else is in? And a bunch of Ticat fans came in. They said some nice things. They were some of them were just like, uh, Virginia is not the worst city I've ever been to, or, you know, they, they have some good fans and they they support the community support for the riders is great. It was, it was, it was a lot of fun stuff. Um, but then as the riders were kind of gagging the game away against the owls, I said, you know what, we're going to flip the script here. If they lose, we're going to come on here and bash them. Well, the riders did end up winning. Unfortunately, the lions, however, and did you watch that game by any chance? I did. I did. What a weird. The ending of that game was so bizarre. Strange. Yeah, it was. Like, how do you, as a coach, and I know he came out afterwards, Dinwiddie came out afterwards. How as a coach do you not realize, A, they have a timeout, and B, how much time do you need to kneel the ball out? Like, that's your job to know these things. Inexplicable, right? It it was. I mean, I'm sure you were thinking the same thing that I was at home when he. When they knelt it down, uh, kneeled it down the first time, I was like, this isn't going to work out. I mean, there's still going to be 17 seconds left on the mm-hmm. clock or whatever. They're going to be punting from their end zone. They're only up by one. Like, 
you need to know these things. Yeah. If they were to end up losing, and they should have end up ended up losing. If, because... B, if if BC had a kicker that could make a goddamn kick, they'd have won that game. Yeah, uh, I think he missed a couple kicks, but that last one obviously would have been the end of the game. And yeah, it was uh, piss poor time management by uh, Dinwiddie, and he yeah. Uh, he has to learn from that for sure. Yeah, too bad it doesn't ha- didn't happen against Hamilton though. You know what I mean? Like too bad mm-hmm. that, that kind of brain fart doesn't happen against us. Yeah, but he the might Lions, have missed the field goal too though. Yeah, well, knowing our kicking woes, yeah, probably. <laughs> no, when they when they yeah, I was the same way when they knelt it. I was like, hold on, like, and especially when they called timeout, I was like, wait, this mm. this math doesn't work. Like, I'm thinking like, oh, there's gonna be like 15 seconds or so left. Like, this doesn't. You can't kneel this out. What are you doing? And I'm like. If they don't get any yards here, like like you, they're going to be punting from their end zone. And then BC gets the bigger turn, and I'm thinking, because I'd already sent out the tweet, I was like, thanks for nothing, Lions. Because mm-hmm. I, cause once they, I think they, what, did they go for it on third down? Or did they, I can't remember how we got to the point where the Argos had the ball down deep. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I can't remember. And then I'm like, okay, well, they, they lost, like, thanks for nothing. And then I'm like, well, hold on, they're going to get the ball back. And then they get a pretty decent return, I'm thinking... Holy smokes! They, oh my God, BC's going to come back and win this game, and then they didn't, and then they go to overtime, and then unfortunately they lost. So the Lions lost, the Riders won. We got to say something nice about the Riders, and I still think we should say something mean about the Lions. Where would you like to start? Would you like to start with nice, or would you like to start with me? Uh, let's start with nice, I guess. Okay, what do, what do you have nice to say about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders? Uh, passionate fan base. Uh, if Every fan base was like theirs in the CFO. We would be a uh, pretty prosperous league. So um, that's about it. That's, about, <laughs> that's all I got to say. Um, okay, you took the fan one. I'm not going to piggyback yeah. on that. that. That's that's a pretty good one. They do a very passionate fan base. Um, some, of the, some of the fans on Twitter, writer fans, are some of the nicest people I've met. Um, some of them I've met in, in person. Some of them I've just interacted with online. But I find more than not that they are they're just genuinely nice people um their throwback uniforms are some of the best in football not just canadian football but football in general those ones they wear on labor day are that should be their permanent uniform it's so nice it works so well i i don't know why they uh they don't go to that permanently so you said the fans i said their uniforms we both kind of agree on the fans too so that's kind of a double up there um, now I guess we got to say something mean about the BC Lions, Mike. Now a couple weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, we actually said something nice about the Lions because I can't remember what they did, but they did something, and I said, "Oh, if they did, they do this, we'll we'll say something nice about them." And they did, so we ended up saying something nice about them. Well, now we got to flip the script. Now we got to be mean about the BC Lions. So what uh, what can you say mean about the Lions right now? Well, it's it's just kind of a I don't know if it's mean or not, but it feels like they're wasting the last couple years of Michael Riley's career. You know what I mean? With the offensive line the way it was in 2019, getting them smacked around. Uh, they tried to make improvements for this year, and uh, it is better, but not much better. Uh, he's still getting smacked around back there, especially lately. So um, it's just unfortunate that um, a guy like Mike R- Michael Riley can't uh, finish his career on a high note. Yeah, I was. it's weird. We both kind of had the same, same sort of things for both, because I was going to say like they're just... We're watching the end of a because Riley's up there. He's in his mid to late thirties. Like he doesn't have very much left, and and he's just going to get the crap kicked out of him. Um, they're kind of a if not for what's going on in Edmonton, I wonder how many more people would be piling on what's happened with the Lions because 
They've cycled through general managers over the last few years. They have a new owner in place, so we kind of give them a little more leeway. Rick Campbell's not a good head coach. Like, no. he is the Marcel Desjardins, and which is, uh, I think we talked about this when we talked about Desjardins last week. Mm-hmm. You look at his career record, and yeah, he has that Grey Cup ring, but has he ever really, like, two winning seasons under his belt? And with all that talent they had in Ottawa, and then he goes to BC, and, and they basically made Devon Claybrooks the scapegoat for a poor BC team in 2019, which I didn't think was the case. I thought he should have been given another another year at least. And then Campbell comes in, and they're not much better. I mean, they might even be worse. Like, And you you have one of the top – and, yes, it's the tail end of his career. Top three quarterbacks in the league, maybe even top two, to be, to be perfectly honest. And – they can't make the playoffs. Like, come on. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, th- like I said, if not for what's going on in Edmonton and all the drama there, I think more people will be talking about how the Lions have just completely shit the bed the last half decade or so. Just ever since Wally Buono retired, it's just been like, I don't know. There's just feel like there's something missing there. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. Uh, you know, on the field, there's been something missing. And uh, <clears throat> ever since Bob Ackles passed away, too, like off the field. No, they used to have really good crowds in BC, and now it just keeps declining and declining. It reminds me of what's happened uh, here in Edmonton. Now I think that you can get the crowds back at Edmonton pretty quickly if you, uh, you know, tweak some stuff, maybe let go of the general manager, start uh, winning on the field. I think the fans will come back. But, uh, yeah, it's been a sharp decline for, for the BC franchise. Yeah, I think Edmonton's problems attendance-wise is all about the on-field product. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if they were winning, I don't think – you wouldn't get 50,000 people, but I think you'd get no. twenty-five to 35 easily every mm-hmm. week. Um, it, it, I think that there's apathy towards the franchise because of how bad they are, and I think they're pissed off at the at, – at especially the general manager. And they were the only team this year that really had the big COVID outbreak too, and I think that, you know, made people mm-hmm. not uneasy about going to games, but a little – like, oh, we're the team with all the unvaccinated players. Like, you've seen so many people online be, like, so pro-vaccination. Most of the most of the CFL fan base, aside from a few lunatics that I've had to interact with, tend to tend to be pretty pro-vax. So it's, like, for that for them to be the team where they have this massive, like, like they have to shuffle around games and all that other sorts of stuff, I think it left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. And I've seen some – I don't follow a ton of Edmonton fans on Twitter, but I've seen enough where it uh, – it seems like some of the diehards are, are are not even really going there. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, you know, it's pretty thin in that stadium right now. Uh, I, you know, the next game is against Saskatchewan, and uh, there might be more Ryder fans there than uh, Elk fans. Yeah, that'd be that'd be kind of sad. Okay, so that's the mean thing about, or the nice thing about the Riders, mean thing about the Lions. So before we get into the Tie Cats game, we have to dis- we have to obviously give away. Our t-shirt this week, so our question was, what was my favorite football game so far this year? The answer was the Red River rivalry between Oklahoma and Texas. Um, So Tarps Apparel gave us these shirts. We're going to give one away, Mike, so let me hit the button as you do our drum roll. We're going to get our winner here. And our winner is... Oh, this is a neat one. Damon Evans! The father of Hamilton Tiger Cat quarterback, (laughs) Dean Evans. Wow, wow. He's entered every week, so he is an avid listener and uh, finally gets a win. So I guess I'll be sending one of these down south. That's going to cost me a pretty penny. 
<laughs> but well worth it. So congratulations, uh, Damon. We will be getting in touch with you, and you can tell us how we can send you your shirt in the coming week. So that's fun stuff. All right, Mike, let's talk about this game. It's so much more fun talking about a win, and it's even more fun talking about a win that was dominating. And this might be the first... I know they beat up on the Red Blacks. I know the Elks aren't that great. But this felt like the first kind of complete game from the Ticats. Do, do, do you agree? They won 39-23, mm-hmm. and it never even... like Yeah, it's a 16-point margin of victory. This game was more than that. Two Elks touchdowns in garbage time. But this felt like a total team effort. They ran the ball. They threw the ball. They played stifling defense. They got some good plays on special teams. This felt like the best game I've seen Hamilton play all year. Yeah, especially offensively. I mean, to watch the offensive line block for Mazzoli, give him time, and uh, for him to chuck it down the field the way he was throwing it, was that was exciting. It reminded me of the 2019 game in Edmonton. Or Dane Evans was the quarterback, but he was throwing bombs, like one to Addison, maybe one to Banks. But uh, that's what this offense is when it's uh, when they're you know able to play the way they want to play. They're going to throw it deep, and it's going to be fun to watch. And it, it was a uh, it was a great time at Edmonton uh, on last Friday. Did it not feel like they they seem to be finally clicking, like the play calling and the execution? And you mentioned the old line play, like. We haven't been able to really see sort of the chunk plays, but we saw a bunch of them, both in the passing game and the running game. It wasn't just Mazzoli, but it was also the running game as well. But we can focus on the passing game to start. He was awesome. Again, if you look at his numbers, I think over the last three weeks, he's had over 1,500 yards passing, seven touchdowns, no interceptions, no fumbles, and he's added the running dimension to his game. He really looks like he's back to that 2018, early 2019 Jeremiah Mazzoli that we thought could be the MOP. You know what I mean? Like he's that, he's rounding into that type of player again. And in this one, taking the big plays, but also not making the mistakes. He was, he was very efficient. I think he was 17 to 24 uh, in the game. And they didn't ask him to do a ton after halftime, but in that first half, he was lights out. I think he had all three touchdown passes. And I think he had close to 300 yards passing in the first half alone. It was a masterful performance from Jeremiah Mazzoli in this one. Yeah, it, you know, the thing that impressed me the most was his long ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just on point with that, uh, especially the one to Jalen Ackland. Oh, just right how on the pretty money. was that? That was perfect. Right that was a perfect stride. pass. Yeah, it was. It was, and it, it's great to see. Um, you know, Mazzoli was incredible, but we got to talk about Donnie Jack. Holy you know, he smokes. comes into the lineup. First time this year, he racks up 120 yards, uh, a touchdown, a 7.5-yard average. It just seems like he was, you know, gaining 10 yards almost every single time he touched the ball, and it was great to see. Yeah, especially early in the game. I think his first three handoffs went for a first down each time. And then late in the game, when you know you're running it, you're trying to ice the game, he breaks like a 15, 16-yard touchdown run. And I saw a lot of people be like, why did the team sit him and why wasn't he playing? And obviously they had some faith in, in Sean Thomas Erlington and, and guys like that, but he got on the field and he, it, he's one of those guys. I, I was excited when they signed him. Cause I remember what he was able to do in Calgary when he was healthy. And I know he's dealt with a little bit of injury this year, but I think all that pent up sort of not getting on the field kind of exploded in this one. And obviously being a former Stampeders, he's played some pretty big games against the Elks. Uh, he just looked like, like, completely different player like anything we've seen at the running back position this is no disrespect to the other guys he just looked like he was on a completely other level 
And he added so much to the offense in the fact that now you have this running attack that does open up the deep passing game. That does open up the receivers because now you can't just worry about stopping the pass because Hamilton's a very, I mean, every team in the CFL is pass heavy except for really like Montreal. And I guess, I guess Winnipeg to an extent as well. But the Ticats are a pass heavy team. Maybe the, one of the most pass heavy teams in the league. You add this added dimension with Jackson who is fast, but also was able to get the in-between yards. Like those first couple of runs were all inside the tackles and he was hitting the hole and he'd, he'd get to, you know, six or seven yards before he's even touched. And then he'd drag a guy another three or four yards to pick up the first down. Like, it was such a revelation. And then they kind of went away from it a bit because the passing game was working so well. But then they came back to it late in the game and worked as well again. A lot of it has to do with Jackson. A lot of it, I think, has to do with the offensive line. I think this, again, like I said, this was just an all-around great offensive performance. But Jackson was, he adds this new dimension to the team that I think is going to be key going down the stretch into the playoffs. Absolutely. And you mentioned the offensive line and, you know, the Elks aren't a good team, but the offensive line going up against that defensive line, the defensive line, you know, they're not that bad. They're actually pretty good on the Elks. So um, for them to open up holes, you can't just throw that away, you know, j- just because they're the Elks, right? Um, they did a great job for Don Jackson. And, uh, you know, ever since, who's that new left tackle that came in? Ever since he came in, it's been, oh, um... you know, it's been pretty good. I want to say it starts with a V. It's yeah, uh, Travis Vorn call. Um, yeah. yeah, he's in there with uh, Van Zyl, Revenberg, Sirocco, and uh, Coulter mm. Mancy. So yeah, they've made the, they may have made a couple changes to the offensive line. But yeah, he's been. Uh, I, I I believe he got beat for a sack in this one. Um, but I, I if if you're going where I think you're going, I would kind of agree. I think he's been he's been the best left tackle we've seen this year. Yeah, I mean he's not an all star, but uh... no. We're not hearing as much from from the ends of the offensive line, you know, the pressure coming from there. So, um, you know, maybe I'm completely wrong and he's no good. But to me, uh, just as a casual, you know, observer, uh, the offensive line has been better since he's been in there. And maybe it's the competition that we've been playing. Maybe when he faces up against like a really good defensive end, then uh, we might be in trouble. But so far, so good. Well, and the thing is, you and I, as much as we discuss the offensive line, we just wanted it to not be garbage. Like yeah. I, I said time and time again, if it could get to just average, I think this offense would, will take off because I think with the with the skill position players and the talent they have elsewhere, you can make up for an average offensive line. And yeah, you know what? I, I hear people say like, oh, don't get too high on yourselves. You beat Ottawa and Edmonton, but you can only beat who's in front of you. And they didn't just beat them. They destroyed both these teams. You know what I mean? Like 71 total points in these last two games and... 26 allowed and really when you think about what they did in Edmonton Edmonton had this game was basically it was 27 to 4 at halftime and it was essentially over and then really when you get into the fourth quarter it's it it is like I think the Ticats scored pretty early in the fourth quarter and you're like okay this is this is like we can go to bed essentially and then Edmonton scored a couple of fourth quarter touchdowns then one like super late in the game when it's like the game is like it was after Jackson had scored his touchdown, so it's like this is this we're let's put to bed. Like, there's no chance Edmonton's going to make this comeback. You can only play who's in front of you, and they've destroyed both these teams. We just saw a pretty good Calgary team that's hitting its stride too. They they didn't struggle with the Red Blacks, but they only won by like ten points. Like it wasn't it wasn't the thirty point blowout that we saw the Ticats give them, and we've seen other teams 
we've seen Winnipeg recently play Edmonton, and Edmonton gave them their best shot. Now, Edmonton's just not good enough to beat Winnipeg. And I'm not saying that Hamilton's on Winnipeg's level either, but any game can, anything can happen. Hamilton has come out in, in two games that you yourself labeled can't lose and absolutely put the boots to the two teams that they had to beat. I think that's something that you, you can take something from that. Like, you can say, like, okay, yeah, maybe it's not the height of competition, but they also didn't let these teams hang around. Like, yeah, with Ottawa, it was a little slow at first. And then it seems since that second half against the Red Blacks, it's just been full steam ahead, and these guys have just been kicking the crap out of everybody. Yeah, I mean, if if, if the Ottawa game and the Elks game, you know, came down to a field goal to win it or... We're having a different conversation. Played, yeah, they played poorly the whole game. They won, but they played poorly. Then we're not, uh, not going to be as high on them. But uh, like you said, they came in to uh or they play Ottawa on the road what well, it doesn't matter they they beat no, the crap Hamilton. out of the, no, both Hamilton. of them right so they beat the crap out of both of them and that's what we wanted and that's what we expected and that's what happened so uh good on them okay so speaking of beating the crap out of people i guess we kind of got to talk about it right the Simone Lawrence James Wilder Jr wrestling match that happened on the field now you didn't see it cuz you weren't no. watching you were out at the concourse um, mm-hmm. but I'm, I'm assuming you've seen the highlights since. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I gave my take on Twitter. I'll reiterate it here. What's your take on the situation? Well, I think James Wilder was uh, being a bit of a baby, you know, as he tends to do. Um, I didn't think there was anything, you know, over the top about Simone's hit. Um, I know people want to make it that way. You know, people have... The idea that he's a dirty player, I, I don't think he is. I think he plays to the edge. Um, he's crossed the edge maybe once or twice, but other than that, he's been a, a model citizen, I think. So uh, I think James Wilder was just really frustrated, maybe with the season, you know, how it's, how it's turned out for him, and uh, he lost his temper. Yeah, I... Look, in my piece for three down, I called out the lazy hacks that are pushing this narrative that Simone's a dirty player. Yeah, he plays on an edge, and sometimes he crosses that line. This was not one of those instances. Was the hit late? Yeah, it was. Like, I'm not going to deny it. But at the same time, he was diving for him, and yeah, it just looked as bad as it did because the pass was dropped. But if Wilder catches that pass, and Simone hits him and knocks him down and maybe knocks the ball out, like, that's what he's supposed to do. And I think there's just this, ever since the Caleros hit in 2019, there's just been this campaign essentially to to smear Simone Lawrence's name and maybe because we're Ticats fans we're more apt to defend him but I also think that he's a player that if he's on your team you love him and if he's on the opposing team you hate him and I think that's what makes him a great player James Wilder I mean he put his his NXT training to good use with a double leg takedown and I got to be honest with you, I found it entertaining. I know it's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to get into fights in football games, and it was it turned into this massive brouhaha. These two guys, it seems, genuinely don't like each other. This dates back to Wilder's time with the Argos. I think they got into a, a thing um, back on, like a, I want to say it was like Labor Day 2018, maybe. Um, might have been 2019, but I think it was 2018. They got into like a, a bit of a scrum. I, I think Wilder like tried to like drag... Simone by his face mask or did drag him by his face mask. And there was no there was no ejections of those two. Just like there was no ejections of those two in this one. Um I I like when when guys don't like each other. I think that there needs to be more of these kind of personal feuds in professional sports 
where guys just straight up have beef with one another because I think it makes for a more entertaining game. I look, the Ticats are up at the time, twenty-seven to four. It was getting late here in, in the East. I'm as much as I'm watching the game and, and into it because the Cats are kicking ass. I, I, I admittedly was fading, and then this happened, and I was perked right back up. Like I'm like, okay, I'm in. Like let's see where this goes, and I just think that it adds. The CFL needs. I'm not saying this should happen every game. I'm not saying it should happen in a game. But when these types of things happen, I think it, in some twisted, strange way, it's actually good because I think it gets people talking. And now these two guys, like if, if, the next time these two guys face off against one another, this is going to be a storyline going into the game. Like I think sometimes these things that are, you know, against the rules, are actually good for the game, good for the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The. Uh... When the competition is raised and there's some a little bit of hatred between the two teams, uh, it's a good thing. I agree with you. And, you know, you have that natural rivalry rivalry between Toronto and Hamilton. <clears throat> and that's always that's always a thing. But it's it's good when you know that they hate each other. You know, when there's animosity, it just makes you more pumped up for the game. It makes makes you want to watch more. It makes you want to beat that team more. Um yeah, I think it's, uh, I don't want, you know, like you said, I don't want to see fights every game, but uh, there's a brouhaha every once in a while. Like, I love when there's a brouhaha on Labor Day. Yeah. Because you know that the blood's flowing and, the, you know, the teams are taking it serious. So I always like seeing that stuff. It, like, it, I'm, I'm like that, though. You know, it's like with, you know, say, like, rap music. I like when rappers beef. I think that yeah. um, some of the best stuff comes out, uh, the best songs come out of, you know, when there's animosity towards another rapper. So I'm all for that stuff. No, I feel the exact same way. I think some of the when you get that fiery desire to like, it's not even necessarily hatred, but like, it it, it can fuel the art in in hip hop, and I think it also fuels players because you know I'm going up against this guy I don't like. I want to I want to beat him down, and I I think it can add sort of a little extra spice to what, especially with the CFL recently, could could be in fairness use a little bit of this sort of, uh, these sort of viral moments, if you will. Um, but coming out of this, there were a couple of ejections in this game. Jonathan Rose for the Elks was ejected for coming onto the field uh, during the melee. That got him tossed. And Cam Kelly was tossed. Ticats Cam Kelly was tossed for spitting on an opponent. And I think we got to be honest here, Mike. Um, spitting on someone, you can't endorse that. That's absolutely low-class uh, I've been a big Cam Kelly fan, as as you have, but this is completely unacceptable, and he needs to be called out for it. Yeah, spitting in this day and age is just, uh, you know, completely disgusting, and it's dangerous. You know, before the pandemic, it was a disgusting act, and now it's it's even more disgusting. So, um, you know, Cameron Kelly, you know, he did what he did. It was a lapse of judgment, obviously. Uh, I don't think he is a bad person. I just think he made a, a big-time mistake, and... You, you can't be doing that. You just can't. Yeah, he was ejected from the game. He's going to get fined for it. Um, it's just dumb. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's straight up dumb. Uh, you're winning the game by three scores. Like, take the high road. You don't need to do something like this. Like, not that you should do it if you're losing. Like, like you said, it's unacceptable in any sort of instance. It's especially unacceptable given what we're going through in the world right now. But, like... Give your head a shake, man. Like, this this is one of those things that, like, Scarlet Letters players, you know what I mean? Like, he's going to be mm-hmm. looked at differently because of this incident. And it was just completely unnecessary, completely unacceptable. Um, 
I hope he learned something from it, but it never should have come to this. Like, I don't even know, like, how to express my, not disgust, but, like, just... Disappointment? Yeah, disappointment with the whole thing. It's just... Like, why? Why would you... Why would you ever do something like, I, I don't understand. These are big, strong, tough men. And this is something that a punk does, quite frankly. And mm-hmm. I like him as a player, but this is, this is a punk move. Like when you're, when you're a kid fighting with someone, if someone spits on you, like you just know, well, they're, they're not worth, you know what I mean? Like you're spitting yeah. on someone like, get, get the hell out of here. Like, it's just, it's just, a, yeah. it's just, oh, it's just, yeah. It's a vile, it's a vile act. Yeah. And I remember back in the day when Roberto Alomar spat yep. on, uh, I think it was a ref. Or yeah, an ump, yeah. Sorry. Ump, yeah. And, uh, you know, he had a pretty good reputation up to that point. And then it was, you know, you just kind of looked at him differently mm-hmm. and we've, not to go about into Robert Roberto Alomar that much, but we've learned more things about him yeah. as the years went on that, uh, maybe not such a great, that great. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you just, you just can't be doing that. And it's, uh, it's sad that, you know, we have to talk about it, you know, a guy on our team, uh, doing something like that. Yeah. We, I think we, we both, I, I think it's fair to say we've covered this enough. Um, yeah. we both abhor it. We both denounce it. Be better. Kevin Kelly, be better. Um, Brandon Banks was on his way to obviously, I think even without the, even with getting injured, had his best game of the season. He looked more like Brandon Banks than we've seen him really at any point this year. And then he gets hurt and misses the second half with a hamstring injury. They said on the broadcast that it was for precautionary reasons. I imagine being up 27 to four at halftime, you're thinking we don't really need to push him. Let's ease. We're going to need him as this, as the season goes on, we're going to need him late in the season and into the playoffs. No reason to push him here. Is he just snake bit? Has this just been like a lot of people are saying like he's had the worst come back from an MOP season they've seen from any player. I don't necessarily know if that's true or not, but it's also hard to really judge because of the pandemic and we missed 2020, but he seems to have been hurt since basically the start of the season. And it just seems like anytime he try, he almost gets on track. Something else happens. This is just the latest instance of that. Is this just a lost year for banks? Like, should we just chalk this up as a lost year? And then if he comes back next year and, and has a big year, then we can go, okay, it was an aberration. Or, you know, maybe in a year and a half's time, we're looking at this going, oh, it was the, the sign of things to come. I'm hoping it's the, the former, not the latter. But it's just been it's, – it's a lost season for Banks, is it not? Yeah, I think so. And I think the injuries have um, – you know, nagging injuries. Not – you know, not nothing too serious, but just enough to uh, not make them the Brandon Banks that we know. Uh, and maybe it's not going to be a lost season. Because if he plays well in the playoffs, which I believe we will be in the playoffs after um, next Friday, uh, we will forget about the poor regular season. If he contributes uh, in the playoffs and in the Grey Cup, if we make it there, I don't think we'll care about his poor regular season. No, well, and think about this one. How did the game start off? A big-time return for Brandon Banks that was negated by a penalty. But it was an Mm -hmm. excellent... Like, he looked like... Brandon Banks, and then he just get he gets hurt. That was called back on a penalty, and then he had some good catches, but he gets hurt. So I, I'm with you. Like if this ends with him hoisting the Grey Cup, and he makes some contributions in the playoffs, I don't think anyone in Ticat Land's going to care. He's got his MOP award. He's probably going to the Hall of Fame. All he's looking for is that ring. So if they get that, then I think all will be kind of forgotten. Whether he was the main guy in the passing attack or he was a second, third, fourth option, it won't matter if we if they win the championship. 
But I am concerned with the possibility of winning a championship because of the kicker problems. Um, the Ticats offense was absolutely phenomenal in this one. They went from the 11-minute mark of the second quarter until they knelt the ball down on the final series of plays without punting the ball. They went, they scored on every single drive, and two of those drives, unfortunately, back-to-back ones, they scored a single point because the kicker missed a field goal. This kicker problem has reared its ugly head all season. They've lost games by one point because kickers can't make extra points or kickers miss field goals. And yeah, you can't boil it down to one play, but when you lose by one point and you miss an extra point, it's kind of fair to to put two and two together, or in this case, one and one. It didn't cost them in this game, but you're not going to be playing the Elks in the playoffs. You're going to be playing much better competition and I worry that this kicking issue is going to be what stops this team from achieving the dream of winning the championship at home. Yeah, you're, you're going to have to play some close games in the playoffs, and uh, it might come down to a kick. Um, Bertolette has been very up and down this season. You know, he's made some really good kicks. I mean, he had long of 47 in this one. Well, he made but... that 55-yarder against Montreal going into the wind Right. that yeah. you're like, yep. there's no chance he's going to hit this, and he nails yep. that one, and then he knuckleballs a couple of ones in this game and you're just like what i don't get it very inconsistent yes and that's that's the one thing that you don't want in your kicker you want him to be consistent and he's just not that right now but i don't know i mean i guess we're going into the playoff the stretch run in the playoffs with this guy as our field goal kicker but i don't i don't see them bringing anyone else in maybe they do um but uh yeah it's gonna be some nervous times when he's lining up to you know, maybe kick a game-winning field goal or just a field goal in general. Every point counts in the playoffs, so it's it's going to be it's going to be a little nerve-wracking. I wish they would have found a way to make the deal with BC to get Sergio Castillo here. Mm-hmm. Like that would have been nice. You 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 take him and make sure he doesn't go to Winnipeg because all Winnipeg really needs right now is a field goal kicker, and they got one. Castillo was great when he was here before he got hurt. The season he was their their main field goal kicker. What did Winnipeg give up? A mid to late round draft pick to get him? Like the Cats couldn't have done that? I don't know. It just feels like this is going to be one of those things. I never like when the kicker comes out and my heart's in my throat because I don't know if he's going to make it or not. And I think of all the teams that are going to be in the playoffs, I think Hamilton probably has the least reliable kicking game out of all of them, and that scares me. That legitimately scares me. Yeah, the kicking game has been pretty good this year in the CFL overall. Um, but yeah, our, ours has not been, uh, it hasn't been pretty. And uh, you, yeah, we're going to be sweating it out, I think, in the playoffs. And uh, even down the stretch here, um, I think that we'll probably win at least two of these games coming up. But uh, they might be close and we might need Bertolette to make that pressure kick. Yeah, and those are the ones he'll make and then he'll he'll pooch a 37-yarder. Yeah. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, all right, player of the week this week. I noted on Twitter that we were going to have a deep discussion on this, and it was going to be tough to pick just one person. Mike, then we copped out, and we're going to take two. <laughs> yeah. um, this was so hard to pick. This was, you and I, it's not like we, we disagreed, but the merits for, for both guys that we took for co-players of the week this week, it's, it's, this was a nigh impossible, like, you're, you're, how do you pick just one of these guys? Because mm-hmm. it feels yeah, it, it almost it almost feels unfair to the other one if we would have picked. You, you know what I mean? I know, I know. 
And the two players we got for Podsky Player of the Week are Jeremiah Mazzoli and Don Jackson. Third in a row for Mazzoli. Yeah. Uh, three really good games in a row for Mazzoli. Uh, he went 17-24 in this one. 70.8 percentage. 357 yards. Three touchdowns. No interceptions. No interceptions in the last three games, which yeah. is huge. Um, Don Jackson came in his first game this season. Um, he hasn't been in the lineup because of ratio issues. I know he's a little banged up at the start of the season, but man, did he look good. 16 carries, 120 yards, a 7.5-yard average, and one touchdown. So he added a uh, dimension to this offense that we've been missing this whole season, so hopefully he can keep that rolling. But the Podsky players of the week are Jeremiah Mazzoli and Don Jackson. Who was the last high cat? And I should have looked this up before we recorded. That had 100 yards rushing in a game. C.J. Gable? Alex Green? It's been a while. That's a tough one. Yeah. It's I don't, I don't, think, they, I don't think they had a 100-yard rusher in, in 2019. And I would guess that Alex Green maybe had a 100-yard game in 2018. He was a favorite mm-hmm. of June Jones. So maybe it's probably been over two full seasons of games since the Ticats had a 100-yard rusher. Which is pretty pretty sad, really. Yeah, and then I mean, it's not like you know, there's not a ton of hundred yard games in the CFL rushing wise, but to go that long without a hundred yard rusher, and I again, I could be totally wrong, and I'm not counting quarterbacks. I just mean running backs. For Jackson to come in his first real game action of the season and and look like that, at, like I said earlier, just adds a completely different dimension to this offense, and it's going to be exciting to see as we go forward. So yeah, very deserving uh, co-players of the week with Mazzoli and Jackson for sure. Um, no Ticats news to talk about this week. So I thought it would be fun for us to uh, talk just some general CFL news. And the, the biggest news of the week was Reggie Bagleton, the receiver who was with the Green Bay Packers returning to the Calgary Stampeders. And I thought this would be a good jumping off point for you and I, cause we haven't really discussed it kind of the playoff race out West. We, we obviously as, as Ticat fans, we're really focused on what's going on in the East, which is really tight, but the West is kind of interesting too. Winnipeg clinched first place. Uh, we know that the, the West final will be at IG field. I think it's safe to say the Riders, who are a game up with a game in hand, will probably finish second and host the West Semi against likely Calgary. But with this addition, does this make Calgary a really scary team come playoff time that they could maybe go on a Bombers-like run from 2019 as the three-seed and get to the Grey Cup? Yeah. Unfortunately, it does. I mean, they've been coming on. They've been... They've been coming on pretty strong and uh you know i know that they didn't exactly beat up on the red blacks last week but those two previous games they looked pretty good then saskatchewan's kind of fallen off um they don't look as good the offense is not clicking for them uh in calgary yeah i I think the west has to be concerned it would not surprise me to see calgary in the gray cup come uh december 12th or 13th or whenever it is but uh yeah it's going to be an interesting stretch here and and it's Saskatchewan should finish second, uh, um, barring a complete complete collapse. But uh, the Calgary still has a shot. They do, but we looked at the schedule before. The Riders got back to back games against the Elks, mm, and yeah, yeah. I, those they're going to win at least one of those. Like they probably win two, but at least one. And them winning both and clinching second is actually good for us because they play the Ticats on the final game of the season. If they have nothing to play for. And the Cats have rolled off two wins, like are on a four-game winning streak, having beat Ottawa, Edmonton, win this week in BC, and win the following week in Toronto. The Cats, and we'll get into this more in depth later, will be playing the Riders with a chance to host the East Final in Hamilton, which would give them home field throughout the entire playoffs. So 
I guess we're low key. I'm not even low key. We're rooting for the riders. That feels weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you got to cheer for whoever you know gives the best chance for the Ticats to uh, climb the ladder in the East Division. But uh, yeah, it's funny how Calgary's come on strong and BC has just fallen off completely. Uh, I'm, you know, I don't. I I think we predicted at the start, or I predicted at the start of the season. I can't remember that there would be no crossover, and it's yep. kind of looking that way right now. Oh, there's I. The Ticats need to win one more game to ensure there's no crossover, and I don't see them losing all three of their final games. You no, know what I mean? Like, no. two of them are at home, and one of them is a de facto home game against Toronto. They have so much to play for. They're looking good over the last couple of weeks. Like, even in those two losses to Montreal and Toronto, they were single-score losses. Like, it was by one and three points. Yeah, they didn't look great, but it's like a couple of plays here and there go the other way, and Hamilton's already on a four-game win. You know what I mean? Like, they've started to really – and especially these last two weeks, like – we. You called them can't lose. I like to call them get right games. They really sort of found their groove offensively. And yeah, the West is, uh, it seemed uninteresting at the beginning of the season because it looked like Winnipeg was going to roll away with it. They've suffered a few injuries. They've locked everything up so soon that you kind of wonder if complacency and mm-hmm. and rust will, like how will they be to start? You're going to have a team like Calgary that's battling for their lives or a team like Saskatchewan that's really playing until basically the end of the season to to ensure they get a home playoff game. Calgary seems like a really scary team, and I wouldn't have said that a month ago, but they've looked pretty decent, and you add a guy like Reggie Bagleton, you know what they have in that coaching staff. I know you dislike him, but Bo Levi Mitchell is who he is for a reason. This is probably the worst season Calgary's had in a long time, and they still look like a threat in the West. So, I don't know. I think the West is going to be – I think both divisions in the playoffs, I think – the way I look at the league, it's one team far and away the best at the top. That's Winnipeg. Then you got this cluster of about five teams in the middle. You got the three teams in the east. You got the two playoff teams in the west. Then you kind of got BC by itself. I don't think they're in the bottom tier. They're slightly above, but they're not in the tier with Hamilton and all those other teams. And then you got the bottom tier, which is Ottawa and Edmonton. That that five-team grouping there, I think, is as tight as we've ever seen in the CFL, especially this late. And I know everyone's kind of saying like, oh, you know, there's a foregone conclusion that the Bombers are going to win the Grey Cup. Well, when we sat three weeks away from the end of the 2019 season, we all sat, everyone was saying, oh, it's a foregone conclusion. Hamilton head and shoulders above everyone. It's one game. Anything can happen. We've seen it time and time again. The Stampeders themselves were the class of the league in 2016, lost the Grey Cup to an, Grey Cup to an under 500 team. So I, I, if you were to say, what are you going to bet on? I'd bet on the Bombers to win. But that doesn't mean I necessarily think they're, they're head and shoulders guaranteed to win because it's football. Anything can happen. We've seen we see, uh, teams – we saw an undefeated New England Patriots team lose to a 10-win giant. You know what I mean? Like anything can happen. I think this is going to be one of the – especially with no crossover too. I think it's going to be a really exciting playoffs where you're going to have three teams in the West, three teams in the East. I think that's good for the league. I really do. I think having – especially three teams in the East make the playoffs – especially when they're all going to be very similar record-wise, nine wins, ten wins, eight wins. Like, it's going to be so tight. I think it's good for the league, and I think it's good for the East that all those teams are kind of clustered together. I, I, I just think it's going to be a really exciting structure, which is something to see if desperately needs because it's been a bit of a boring season, yeah. if, be, if we're being honest. Yeah, we were talking about Brandon Banks, and if he had a good playoff run, that we'd forget about the, the, you know, the lackluster regular season. It's the same way for the CFL mm-hmm. as a whole. Um you know, if we have you know, these last three or four weeks, some really good games and then some really good playoff games, it'll do a little bit to, you know, help forget that, 
you know, the entertainment level wasn't up to par this season. Yeah, and you know what I said about Banks? You'll say about Calgary. Calgary's been kind of up and down this year. If they go on a run and get to the Grey Cup, everyone will forget the fact that they were a bit of a middling team this year. So mm-hmm. we definitely got some interesting things happening at the at the tail end of the season, which is which is what you want out of out of a sports league, right? Like, yeah, we have our rooting interest, but outside of that, you kind of want things to be tight and exciting. You don't want there to be one team running away with it and everyone else kind of just garbage like it's mm-hmm. nice to see kind of these battles and and that we're going to get into the the last few weeks and there's still so much to be decided so i don't know it's uh i think we're in for for a fun end um Ticats game this upcoming week friday night here in hamilton they host the bc lions this is the big one not necessarily as big as as the last few have been where the Ticats trying to get get right uh with some wins but if hamilton wins they clinch a playoff spot a win would also clinch a playoff spot for the Montreal Alouettes, which would then guarantee that there is no crossover. So I don't know if you want to call this a can't-lose game, Mike. BC's reeling a little bit. They they have not looked good since uh, since about a month or so ago. Um, what are you saying? Is, is this can't-lose or is this, uh, is this, is this, not, does this not quite meet the level of a can't-lose game? It's an important game, hugely important game. I'm not going to say it's can't-lose. You could still lose this game and then – you know, with Montreal losing last week, you're still in the hunt for that uh, home semifinal at least. But um, don't get me wrong, it's a massive game. If we win this one, uh, the next game against Toronto will be all, you know, if they'll probably win against Ottawa, but we'll have a chance in the next game against them to uh, play catch-up. So this is this is a massive game, and uh, I'm going to be glued to my television set. Oh my god, we got to cheer for Ottawa and Saskatchewan this week. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, that just feels icky. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm going to do it. You got to do it, but I, I don't. I'm not, I don't like that. That uh, that just feels no, wrong. Me neither. The other thing that you mentioned the Owls lost last week. What that also does is put, and I said this just a few minutes ago. It puts Hamilton's playoff destination in its own hands, which is not usually the case with the Ticats. Usually they need help elsewhere to kind of secure some seating. If they win out, they beat BC, then beat Toronto, then beat Saskatchewan, they're hosting the East Final. Even though this has been, I think, a disappointing season based on expectations, and I'm taking out my expectations that they would go undefeated, but I think everyone kind of felt this was a 10, 11, 12 win team. They'd probably roll over most of their opponents. There'd be a couple of games where they'd, they'd hiccup, but it's been it's been less than that. It's been hovering around, unfortunately, that 500 mark almost all season. Um, but we're at the end of the season. We got a favor from the Riders when they beat Montreal, and now the Ticats get to decide themselves where they're going to play come playoff time. That's all you can really ask for, right? When you've had kind of a somewhat disappointing season, but you're, you get to the end, and it's all up to you. That's what teams want, mm-hmm. is it not? Absolutely, and if you know, a lot of the times going to the playoffs, the hottest team mm-hmm. ends up winning it all. So, you know, maybe we're the hot team this this year. You know, we don't have a 15-3 and three record like in 2019, but but if we can, you know, string together some wins near the end of the season and be the hottest team in the league, uh, we might have something special. All right, let's do, before we go, This this is completely off the top of my head. Do you think they went out? BC, I think they'll, they'll go into BC. I think uh, I think they'll play BC, and uh, you know that defense isn't very good, so I think they'll keep it rolling against them. Uh, Toronto is in first place, 
But you look at, you know, they're just so inconsistent. I mean, they have more points against than they have points for. Yeah, someone brought that up on Twitter today. I saw that, and it was like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Yeah, I mean, the Ticats have more points for, like, by quite quite a bit, actually, by about, you know, 58 points, if I'm doing math correctly. But, yeah, I mean, Toronto's such an inconsistent team that I think, you know, I think the Hamilton crowd is going to travel pretty well. Uh, into Toronto for that game. I see them winning that one, and then um, I think Saskatchewan's going to have nothing to play for, and and if they do, if they don't have anything to play for, I see Hamilton winning that one as well. So um, we still have a serious shot at first place. Okay, I'm going to let you, because every prediction I've made about the Ticats this year has essentially been wrong. I think they can go undefeated, like they can win these last three games. I did a piece for three down talking about how I thought the East division would play out. I didn't have them beating the riders. I thought that they would uh, beat the Elks, which they did. Actually, it's funny. I did all three teams and all three teams did exactly what I said the first week. So maybe I'm uh, having a bit, little bit better luck. I thought Toronto mm-hmm. would beat BC. I thought Hamilton would beat Edmonton. And I thought the riders would go into Montreal and beat the Alouettes. So, so far so good. Um, now that means that if the Ticats and the Owls finish with the same record, Hamilton will get at least a home playoff game for the semi. And as much as I would like them to I, – I want them to finish first more to get the bye because then you can get guys healthy. Addison's obviously banged up. Banks obviously is banged up. Um, they've got some guys that are, that are a little nicked. It would be nice to be able to get that week off to get everyone healthy for an East final. But if the Argos win the division, as I, I predicted they would in that piece on three down, I'm not so concerned with that being – it's a playoff game. There's going to be a lot of Ticats fans there. I'm going to be in yeah. attendance. I'm going to make sure yeah. I get there to watch that game. There's going to be a ton of Ticat fans there. I'm not overly concerned with going on the road to Toronto for a playoff game. Um, and I don't think because the Owls lost to the Riders, and now they've got the, not a quarterback controversy, but they're going with Trevor Harris. I'm not too concerned that the Owls will find a way to jump everybody because I don't think the Ticats will lose enough games for the Owls to even jump them. So... If it's in Toronto, I'm not concerned. If it's in Hamilton, all the better. If they beat the Argos in the in the game in two weeks, like that's the big game. This game against the Lions is a big game because they can clinch a playoff spot and keep them in the hunt for first in the East. The real big one is a week from now. And that's we will be focusing on that one because this is for the season series. The Argos won their two games by a single point each. If this Ticats offense that we've seen the last couple of weeks would have been playing against the Argos three weeks ago, four weeks ago, they would have blown them out of the water. Toronto had nothing until very late in the game, but it would have meant nothing because the Ticats would have been up by so much. Same with the Owls. So, like, if we, I need to see this carryover, and I don't know if we're going to necessarily get it against BC because I don't think we can learn much because, like you said, BC's defense isn't really that good. We're going to know exactly who the Ticats are when they play the Argos in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. and that's the one that I'm kind of looking forward to. I'm not overlooking the Lions game because I think the Lions, when you have Michael Riley – Anything is possible. They have Brian Burnham. Lucky Whitehead's back, even if he's not at 100%. They can still do some nice things offensively. I think Hamilton's defense is too good to kind of let them do anything all that much. But I still I think there's the possibility. I think this will be closer than we've seen the last couple of weeks. That's my opinion. But it's really nervous? that game against Toronto that I think is, is the one that's going to make or break the season. Yeah, that's the, that's the big one for sure. Are you nervous with Trevor Harris coming to Montreal now? Because no. he came into the game last week. Eh. He looked pretty good. Um, because, because the Riders weren't prepared for him. They're, they prepared for Matthew Schultz. Mm. I'm not. like but, Trevor Harris is inconsistent. Like, 
hold on, you're you're gonna cape for Trevor Harris? You? Yeah. <laughs> All people. <laughs> well, the the history of him against the Ticats in the playoffs, you know, it's uh, it's not great. I mean, maybe they only had one game against him, but uh, no, they played him. They played him twice. They got they got uh, their asses handed to him when he was in Ottawa, but then they beat the crap out of him in the East final in 2019. Mm-hmm. Harris looked right, terrible. That's true. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He's Trevor Harris isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> I I don't think he necessarily makes him any more dangerous. I think he's I think I don't think he makes him as dangerous as they would have been with Vernon Adams. I mm-hmm. think they're just as dangerous, maybe slightly more so than if they had Matthew Schiltz. Like I don't I think Schiltz looked really good a couple weeks ago and I thought like maybe this guy actually and then he played terrible terribly last week. So yeah. I thought he might have been like the next But you know, you know what? Good quarterback. He yeah he played terribly. Cody Fajardo didn't play all that great. Like like that was just a bad game from everybody. Like that was a yeah. It was it was some bad offense. It was a lot of good defense. I thought the Owls de- the Owls defense is pretty good. The Riders defense is very good. Um, I think it was more that than anything else. This feels like I mean they traded for Trevor Harris for a reason. Like it's not like they traded for him not to play him. So like they were going to use him at some point. It just so happened that the first game he's there for, he Schultz has a has a tough outing and they. They let Harris play, and he, again, not that it was garbage time, but it, the, the Riders were up a couple of scores. Harris put together a couple of nice drives, but I don't know. It's I used to think Trevor Harris was pretty good, and then over the last year, you've kind of convinced me that he's not. So it's, I just think it's kind of funny that you're like, well, what about Trevor Harris? Like it just, uh, <laughs> It's weird that I, I, I was the one who was like, oh, Trevor Harris, and you're like, no, he's garbage. He's, he's trash. Um, I don't know. I, I mean, I think – out of all the quarterbacks in the East, they're all kind of a little inconsistent or can be a little inconsistent. Like we nicknamed him after Ryan Fitzpatrick, McLeod Bethel Thompson is Mick magic for a reason. Like he's good one week, not so great the next Jeremiah Mazzoli. We know can be a little hotter, hot and cold. He's hot right now, but we know that a cold spell could come. Even Dane Evans as as good as he's looked. If he gets in there has been a little hot and cold sometimes too. And then Trevor Harris, you like same thing. So it's like, it's, there's no, and even out West, like, yeah, we know Bo is kind of on a level by himself, but he hasn't been that great this year. Zach Caleros, we're kind of all waiting for the shoe to fall there. Like, the fact that he stayed healthy all year, great. Probably going to win MOP. Awesome. Big Zach Caleros fan. But he's not. he doesn't scare you as much as he did a few years ago, when he, especially when he was with the Cats. And then you got Fajardo, who's kind of come back down to earth a little bit this year. Not, he's not as bad as I thought he'd be, but he's... He's not as good as I think Ryder fans had hoped coming off a, an MLP finalist season. So it's kind of weird. There's really no quarterback situation coming into the playoffs where you're like, oh, I'm completely confident in this. Bo would probably be the closest just because of reputation, but he hasn't looked that great this year. So there's kind of just a, a little bit of upheaval. Maybe that's what makes this so much more interesting too is that you don't have that one guy who's just like – like even Claris who's probably going to win MLP. I don't think he's lighting the stat sheet on fire. No. No, and apparently out of Saskatchewan there was a – plethora of injuries today in practice which you know you never want to see but guys like duke williams was hurt um Jeez. dan dan clark got injured and there was another player too so with you know they brought in duke williams because cody fajardo was uh, you know crying a little bit about his receivers and uh he might not be in action for the rest of the season i'm not sure the extent of the injury but i heard he got carted off so oh um, that's not good yeah it's not good for uh for rider fans well, it's going to make for a very interesting last few weeks of the regular season as we march towards the playoffs. It's uh, it's a, I think it's a fun time to be a fan. I think mm-hmm. I, even if the, like we said, the entertainment value hasn't really been there this year. 
you get this close with this much still left to the side, it, it makes it even a little bit more interesting, even if it's not yeah. as interesting as it was in years past. Yeah, with the, the Ticats in the hunt for first place, my ears have perked up on the CFL season. I am, you know, I was invested before, obviously, but uh, now I'm just a little bit more interested. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm the same way. Like, you know, with the NFL season starting and college football starting, it's like my interest in the CFL, not, not that it waned, but it's like if, I, if there's all this stuff is happening at once, and something's better than the other. I'm I'm gravitating towards that. But I'm watching these two games. Like obviously, watch the Ty Cats game. But I actually paid attention to the Lions Argos game. That was a, a pretty good game. And then I was I was watching a bit of college, but I was also watching a lot of the because there's 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 stakes in it now. I think yep. that even if the games aren't great, when there's when stakes are involved, it makes it that much more interesting. Even if it's not a great entertaining game. Uh, basically, all these games like I, we're I'm going to watch this these. Riders and Elks games because I want the Riders to win because then that could make the path easier for the Ticats. So it's like mm-hmm. there's there's stakes everywhere. It's uh yeah, it's gonna be a fun end. It's I, I really do think it's gonna be a fun end for fans to to see the end of the season here and as we get as we get towards the playoffs and Mark Schwartz Ray Cup's gonna be here in Hamilton. Hopefully Ticats are in it. That's all I care about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, so that was Podski Weaver this week. I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.